Hey everybody, I'm Larry Little and you're listening to Crossing the Line, a podcast where I talk with people about the moments in their life where they cross the line from leading with their head to leading with their heart, and then when they cross the line from leading with their heart to leading with their head. Today on the show, I have an incredible leader. His name is Dr. Matt Park. I've known Matt for a long time. I've watched him uh, lead personally and professionally, and he is the real deal. Matt grew up being groomed, actually, to play golf on the PGA Tour. He did play in college, and I think he played a bit of golf overseas professionally, but his life took a turn. And he ended up uh, getting his doctorate in clinical psychology, becoming a professor, uh, also uh, coaching and, and uh, leading uh, athletes uh, across the country with a master's in sports psychology. But then another turn, and he ended up uh, working at NASA and leading leaders at NASA as an organizational development specialist. And that's what he's doing now as he leads those leaders at NASA. Uh, Now, that's a pretty cool resume, but that's not what makes Matt so special. What makes him so special is his ability to understand and engage people and to have these authentically driven, meaningful, purposeful relationships. He has just an incredible gift with wisdom and insight. Uh, You're going to just love hearing his story. We're going to talk a bit about some difficult things on this episode. We're going to talk about uh, what he has experienced. Uh, He is Asian, and we're going to talk about what he has experienced uh, as as being a, a person who has been the, not the victim, but the recipient uh, of, of quite frankly, racism, that his family has been the recipient of racism and uh, how that seems to be uh, growing even now in, in this culture and climate. So stay tuned, listen to this podcast. I learned a lot of things from this podcast. He's so insightful. I know you're going to learn some things as well. So let's, uh, let's jump into that conversation with Dr. Matt Park right now. Dr. Matt Park, one of my favorite people in, uh, in all the world. You are um, authentic and real and an incredible leader and incredibly busy, and yet you've chosen to give us uh, a few minutes of your time here on Crossing the Line. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, Matt. I'm so excited to have you. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to Crossing the Line. Thank you, Dr. Larry Little. Um, always a pre- privilege and honor. I just love seeing your face and being on, mm. on any stage with you. We are we are dear friends. Don't get to see each other like we want to, but, yeah. but we have been friends for quite a while. And uh, we're going to get to talking about your your um, wonderful family, beautiful family. We're going to get to that in, in later. Um, but I wanted to give you an opportunity. Pe- people need to know your story. You have an incredible journey, and I wanted people to to know that. I wanted I wanted them to get to know. Matt Park. Uh, it's a very, very special guy. So Matt, you're a leader. Uh, you're a leader of leaders. And currently at NASA, we talked about in the intro, and, and you do so many things and, and do so many things well. Uh, but I, want, I don't want to start there. We'll get there, right? I want to yeah. we'll get to where you are today. But, but let's, let's go back and find out uh, a little bit about what made you into the person that you are today? So let's go back to as a child, um, Matt Park. Let's say you know, t- take us back. You're you're a young child, um, elementary age. Let's say six, seven, eight, that range somewhere. Talk to us about your life back then. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Larry. If I can, I get your permission to go way back. So yes. when I was born, oh my, yes, my dad. Yeah, my, my dad. 
Um, so I was the only son and he wanted to call me Marcus after his favorite football player, Marcus Allen. And, and so I was born and raised in San Francisco and right before he named uh, me Marcus on my birth certificate, my sister stopped him and said, Whoa, 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 dad, what's short for Marcus? It's Mark, right? My dad was like, yeah. So, and she said, Mark park. Cause my last name is Park, <laughs> and my dad was like, Oh no, I didn't even think about that. So he quickly had to think of a name and he thought of uh, Matthew as God's gift. So he spelled Matthew, but he didn't know how to spell it. So I've been a parking mat my entire life. And that with one T. So Matt with one T I, <laughs> I actually spelled my name with one T and, and I share that story because it's, significant for me, not necessarily in a positive way, but so you have to understand growing up, I, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. It was, uh, you know, I grew up middle to upper class and, and my dad uh, had this car wash business. Um, actually, you know, my dad had the car wash and my father-in-law had, has a car wash right now, but um, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood and growing up, all I wanted to do was fit in. So I was, I was the one that stood out. I was the, uh, the Asian kid and, um, I hated that about myself. Mm. Like I didn't want to stand out and my name, in fact, felt like a mistake to me growing up. Um, I, I, and I remember growing up in elementary school, middle school, I've always spelled my name with two T's because really? Larry, that, that's how you spell it, right? That's the proper way. That's the correct way of how you spell Matt or Matthew. So every document that you see in school, school paperwork and everything, I spelled my name with two T's on purpose um, because I didn't want to stand out. I already mm -hmm. felt like I did. So, you know, I remember growing up, I, I had a really hard time accepting myself as I, I was, how I looked, um, my upbringing, my culture, my family. I negated a lot of that. I, I was embarrassed by a lot of that. So I ignored it. I shunned it. And um, what they called me, they called me at school. <clears throat> they actually called me a banana a lot. Yellow on the outside and white on the inside. Oh, wow. Um, and, and so, but I, I was okay with that. You know, I, I, I accepted that because I was technically, quote, unquote, whitewashed. And, and so... I hung out with all these friends and I remember very specifically going down. Um, I was shopping with my friends downtown San Francisco, Union Square. And I was walking by this department store that had windows. It was like reflective windows. And I looked at myself and I literally did a double take because for a moment I had forgotten that I was Asian. The moment I forgot that I didn't look like my friends. Mm. And in that moment, I felt disgusted. Like I was like, man, like, why can't I be, you know, like this person? Why can't I be like the star quarterback at my high school? Why, why do I have to look this way? And I remember uh, playing in my playground or in, in, in front of my house when we were playing football. And my grandma, um, who was monolingual, uh, Korean. She only spoke Korean. She didn't mm -hmm. speak any English. She would always come outside and call my name in Korean and speak to me in Korean to to try to feed me, you know. And she would feed me like um, like uh, seaweed and rice, like sushi type stuff. And, wow. And she would call my name. She was Mingya, Mingya, Palua, 
And I was like, I don't know who that woman is, you know? Like, don't, <laughs> don't talk to me. I was ignoring her oh. because I was embarrassed, Larry. I, I didn't mm. want to stand out. I, I didn't want to be different. I wanted to fit in. Fast forward later on in life, um, I, I went to grad school for my clinical psychology degree. Mm. And, and I took a class called IPS. It was called Integrative Professional Seminar. And I learned about a concept called internalized racism, where I actually um, hated myself. I, I was uh, judging myself and criticizing myself for parts of who I was, the makeup of who I am. I don't know if you've heard that term before, internalized racism. Um, but I suspect it's something that many people struggle with. And so I want you to really lean in to what Matt is saying because he's being really vulnerable right now, sharing with you what he went through and how he had to become more self-aware of what was going on inside of him. Um, but this internalized racism is something that we have to understand and, and be aware of uh, with those in our own lives and maybe even ourselves. So pay attention here. And I realized that um, I can never fully be myself in the most authentic form if I ignored this side of my, of, you know, uh, of my culture and, mm -hmm. and not embrace everything of, uh, about myself. And then I met a really um, important business mentor of mine. Uh, his name is Timothy Hoffs. He has one of the most uh, largest architectural firms in the United States, but he also happens to be a Korean American individual. Mm. And he told me in a conversation, he said, you know, Matt, in business, it's not about fitting in. It's actually about standing out. Uh, what a great business tip. What a great leadership tip. Uh, it, business is not about fitting in. It's about standing out. Wow. That's powerful in a lot of different areas. Wow, and good. it was in that moment where I started to make the conversion of going back to the original spelling of my name, Matt with one T, and started to accept myself. And I joined different organizations that, that had very influential Asian American leaders. Mm. Uh, because if you could imagine growing up in the 80s and 90s, you look on TV and the only Asian male role models you see is like Mickey Rooney playing Long Duck Dong or you know, breakfast at Tiffany's, you didn't see people that you wanted to become. You you saw people that you were actually embarrassed to associate with. Mm. So I didn't have that growing up. I didn't have those mentors or role models until later in life where I joined organizations that had very influential Asian American leaders that made me proud of wow. being different. So um, that's a little bit about kind of the story of my name and my childhood um, but I, I had a very interesting kind of childhood experience because I, I didn't grow up a typical, you know, elementary school student. Matt, yeah. when you were growing up and, and you were in a, in, in a, uh, you know, you said middle upper white neighborhood, when did you realize that you were, wait a minute, I, I'm, I'm a bit different. When did that happen for you? Yeah, that was around middle school. Uh, it was around maybe sixth or seventh grade, right around that age where um, 
it was it was almost like I just feel different. I feel um, I feel left out. I feel like I'm not part of the group, even though I am. My friends are great. They're very welcoming, very inviting. But I just looked around the room and nobody looked like me. Mm-hmm. So it was around those times that I, I really recognized that I, I was different. And, and that's when the name calling kind of started, I'm assuming. And, and, you know, you said you were called banana and that kind of thing. And and now you're internalizing all of this. You're taking this in there. You're, you are allowing it to, to, to become your identity, I guess, uh, in and of that environment that you're in, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and what's interesting is that what you focus on grows. What you focus on grows. I want you to hear this because it is um, so powerful. It just is. What we focus on, what we choose to focus our attention on, it grows within us. Wow. So the more that I recognized and started to focus on the fact that I felt different, that I looked different, that I was different, the more that became my environment and my perception in life. So then I started to go into different parties or different invites, different meetings. And that's all I could see. Mm. It's like, it's like buying a new car. So, you know, my wife and I, we wanted to buy a Prius when the Prius car first came out back in San Francisco. And I, I was so excited because I didn't see that many around. So I started researching it and everything. And the next day, Larry, I go on the street and guess what car I see all around me. <laughs> Start seeing Priuses. It's like, where did they come from? Like, you know, right. why is everybody wanting to buy a Prius when I want to buy a Prius? But then I realized that it's already been there. there the Priuses were already there. I just wasn't paying attention to it until I, I you know, shined a spotlight on it. And, and that's what happened for me in a negative way. I, I didn't feel different until I started recognizing it. And that became my reality. And so every, every time I go into a room, I felt like people were judging me, even though they weren't. It was just the way that I was creating this narrative in my head. And then you began to spend energy to try to fit in two T's and those kinds of things so much so that when you passed a, a window, a mirror mirrored window, you were shocked when you looked and said, wait a minute, I don't look like these other people I'm hanging out with. Is that right? Yeah. I spent a lot of energy. So Matt, how did that, and I have another question I'm going to ask about, about Asian racism, even today, I want us to talk about that in just a minute, but I want, I want to, to, before we go there, back up to how did that impact you growing up and what did you take away from that, 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 cause I know who you are and the last thing you are is a victim even in the, even in the face of evil, of, of racism, even in yeah. internalized, right? But talk to us about what, how did you use that to become who you are today? Yeah. Great, great story. Um, that, so growing up, I, I, you know, I was trained to be a professional golfer. That's mm. all I did my entire life. Um, my, my, my dad's way of babysitting me was to take me on the golf course. So I started when I was four years old. And started competing when I was six. So I was groomed to play competitive golf. And and I remember, um, and this goes back to what you're asking about kind of my um the struggle that I faced with my being Asian and wanting to be different. It was the same with my golf. Um I remember 
<clears throat> so I, I played in college and I was trained to play professionally and I played uh, overseas professionally. Oh, wow. And I was uh, training with my coach in Seattle. And I remember um, I was watching this ESPN special on Tiger Woods and who he was, the makeup of the competitiveness of Tiger Woods. And I was watching this and I was terrified, Larry. I, I was saying, how am I, Matt Park, going, how am I going to compete? How, how do I compete with a, a person this competitive? Because in my nature, I wasn't competitive at all. And, and so like Tiger Woods, if you, if you learn about him, he's like this predator. Like I will eat my praise alive. I, you know, I enjoy the competition. I didn't even like competing, but I was in this field. And, and so um, I remember turning the, the television program off because I was just so scared and anxious and nervous. Mm -hmm. And I started praying. I said, God, if you really want me to do this, change me to be more like Tiger. Change my character. Change who I am so that I can be more fierce and competitive and, and, and go out there, you know, for your namesake. Let, let me just let me do this for you. So change me, please. And in that moment, I heard a whisper. Like I literally just felt the calming presence of God. And, and God whispered in my ear. He said, Matthew, why would I change you? if I made you so perfectly. Mm, wow. That's great. And, and it was in that moment where I realized that I was just focusing on all the things that I did not have, mm. that all the things that were not me. Mm. And God was saying, start focusing on who you are mm. and what is you. And so I remember after that whisper, I got a blank piece of paper and I split this paper in half. And on one side of the paper, I listed all the characteristics of Tiger Woods, like fierce competitor, I will eat you alive, um, you know, this kind of, um, this, this mentality of Tiger. And then all on the right side of the paper, I listed all of the things that were natural to me, kind of uh, compassionate, friendly, a listening ear, empathetic, patient, kind, all these things were um, things that described my natural state. Yeah. And so I ripped this paper in half and all I did was I looked at this side says, what is this? Who is this person? Mm. What type of profession does this person kind of align with? And that was the moment that I decided to go into the psychology. I realized wow. that this is a coach. This is a psychologist, a counselor, mm -hmm. a consultant. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what God is calling me to do, to be in the uh, business of people. And so rather than fighting what I was trying to uh, be that I wasn't truly, right. I, I started looking within and saying, who am I? What has God made, you know, how the makeup of who I am and how can I align that to what I do? So and you had to make a conscious choice to do that. Was it difficult though, because you grew up with this internalization that that you wanted to be something different and and you naturally said i need if i'm going to be a golfer i need to be like tiger you know if i'm going to fit in with my yeah. middle school peer group i have to to look a certain way or talk a certain way or be a certain how did, how did you justify it and come to the place where you said you know i am good with who i am and how did how did what you experienced growing up how did that play into that yeah 
uh, it wasn't an effort on my part, Larry. I, I, I kept trying to be um, someone that I was not. Like mm. that was my upbringing. I always focused on how do I be more like this person? How do I be more like that person? Mm. And it was when, like, I struggled with golf, even though that was my career. Um, I really struggled with the game. And I had to do, I was rock bottom. I was doing some soul searching. I was working with a sports psychologist. And it was in that moment where it was God that was just saying, like, you're, you're beautiful just as you are. You know, mm. you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm. Why, why are you struggling so much to, to try to be someone else that y- y- you're uniquely beautiful just as you are? And it was constantly that message that came pouring in for me. Remember what you focus on grows. So in that moment, I started focusing on that, and I made a pivot. I started just realizing and recognizing, wow, like the empathy and the compassion that I once thought was a weakness, a mm. hindrance, mm. was now my superpower. It was something that God had equipped me with. That I'm very natural with people. I'm very um, natural with relationships. I love. I love this. It's just not even an effort. So why am I fighting so hard? Mm to do things that just aren't me. And it wasn't myself realizing that it was more of God, like bringing me to a place of, of a low hitting rock bottom and just saying, even as you are right now, you're still, you know, wonderfully and beautifully made. So, mm. you know, and what happened, Matt, when you made that decision, you, that awareness, you, you know, you gain that self-awareness of, you know what God, God loves me and, and has made me, fearfully and wonderfully and all that. And, and I, I'm going to choose and I'm going to tear the paper. I'm going over here with how he made talk to us about what went on inside of you at that moment. Yeah. So in that moment, it's a reflection of a moment that I experienced in high school as well. I remember making these small little micro shifts um, in high school, even though I felt like I stood out, that I was different, that I didn't like myself. Coupled with that, I had a really bad acne on my face, like really severe. Um, I went to go see a dermatologist. They couldn't really diagnose me. It was to the point where um, I was really ashamed uh, going out in the sunlight, seeing people. They, I, I just felt like I looked like a, you know, like a tomato almost. It was just a red face. And, and I remember making the decision one day in my junior year in high school that, you know what, I'm going to be a spokesperson. Like, regardless of how I feel about myself, I'm just going to accept it and be a spokesperson for people with acne. Like, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm not going to hide in the dark and cover up. I'm actually going to just, I'm just going to go in. And, And I realized in that moment that confidence is an action. Confidence is a behavioral mm. trait. Confidence is an action. It's a behavior. Wow. Have you, have you ever thought about that? Confidence is not something you either have or you don't. It's actually a choice. It's an action. It's a behavior. We get to choose to move forward in our life with confidence or to live in fear. That. I had to practice and become. So it wasn't fake it till you make it. For me, it was be it 
till you see it. It's like you had to do it. You had to um, move into this this position uh, and and do it and do it with confidence and the belief uh, and the conviction. Then then all of a sudden you start to become it. And so I, I became the spokesperson for people with acne. And I remember my junior year, I got as as shy and uh, under the radar as I was in my freshman sophomore year in high school uh, because of these limiting beliefs that I had about myself. That moment when I shifted and just accepted who I am and and put myself out there, even though it was vulnerable and hard, um, I got junior of the year. I mean, it was like this award that was uh, granted by your peers and your mm-hmm. teachers. And, um, and I think that kind of unleashed me and, and mm. said, you know what? It's okay. Yeah. to Just put yourself out there. Yeah. Uh, even, if, even though you feel different. So, so that, that was the beginning stages of it. Those micro shifts that I made and later on in life, it was another reminder. I fell back to old habits again in a different field with golf, trying to be like someone else. And God was telling me that, um, maybe you weren't meant to be a golfer and that's okay. Uh, so I made a huge pivot, uh, to go, go back to school, go to grad mm. school and, and wow. uh, be on the other side of the rope. And, and look what you've accomplished and look who you are today, leveraging the strength at the same time. Look, I just, I'm never playing golf with you. So you can just forget that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, tell us, tell us about, you know, you met a beautiful bride and uh, tell us about that story. Yeah. So Julia, um, I, at that time I was a worship leader and, and my dissertation was on music therapy. So I was a pediatric psychologist uh, working at a children's hospital in, in Oakland, California. And, and there was a music therapy program and I loved it. Like I, I was just, I was all about music, Larry. And, and I saw that these patients, these kids, uh, they, I come into the room, they wouldn't talk with me. They, they don't want to do talk therapy. Who's this guy wanting right. to talk with them? And then the music therapist would come in with a card of, of instruments and they would light up and they would just talk about their day, write lyrics that were very meaningful and powerful for them. And I saw so much healing through music that I, I decided to do my dissertation on it. And as I was doing my dissertation, a friend introduced me to another music therapist down in San Diego, uh, who happens to be my wife now. But she she was a music therapist and worked a lot in this field. And so I got set up just as a, a professional acquaintance to pick her brain, to learn more about this field for the dissertation. And um, and so we kind of hit it off. We we didn't even meet each other. We're just exchanging emails. And I just realized there's so many similarities. Like we're both Korean American. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was in the car wash business and her dad was in the car wash business. <laughs> and then we both loved, uh, you know, we had a heart for Christ. We both loved children. And I was like, wow, this, like, I've never felt this way about somebody. And it was just through kind of conversations by emails and, and phone calls. And I was like, I got to know this person a little bit better. And so we started just, um, you know, I, I remember in March of 2014, I, I went to go visit her in San Diego for the first time. That's where she lived. And we, I, we just hit it off. It was, it was, um, it was a beautiful story from there. And mm. it was, it was a, 
after when our dating life was was just fantastic it was it was great and i knew right away like people always told me you just know when you meet that person you just know and i never believed them until i experienced it myself mm. and so when we we're exchanging emails i just knew that that julia was special that she was wow. different mm. and god placed me uh in this position like you know to court her and and in um in six months i asked her to to marry me and so it was very quick. It was very fast. But the moment we got married, there was a dynamic shift that happened with my family to her. Because in the Korean culture, the daughter-in-law is viewed as like this kind of lowest rank in, in a family hierarchy. And, the, and my parents are very old school Korean. So they treated my wife in a um, not so kind way. It was very, mm. it, it was a really hard mm. transition for my wife because what she experienced with my parents while we were dating was a 180 degree reverse as soon as we got married. Wow. It was almost like these unrealistic expectations that were placed on her to, to kind of like the Cinderella story. You know, y- your responsibility is to clean, uh, to take care of us, to take care of Matt. You don't have a profession. You don't need to go to school. Like all these things started to kind of bombard her and it was this really difficult time that uh, my wife and I experienced from that, from my family. Um, and so we we struggled for a couple, several years. We struggled mm. and we realized that we couldn't be in that same environment right. uh, where, where my family was. So then I had never thought that I would leave San Francisco. Like never in my mind did I think that I would transition out and I was a full-time professor in sports psychology at that time and Julie had two jobs but we we left everything because our marriage and our health uh, our sanity was at stake and it were very early in our marriage but there were so much hardships that my wife had gone through because of my family that we just needed to we needed to leave and, wow. and so we did. And and the first place we came was Huntsville because my my um, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law lived here. And we came out here to spend some time. And and, um, and then I landed a job at NASA. And, and so it was almost like an excuse for us to have some space and some sure. physical, you know, mm-hmm. distance from my family. Mm-hmm. And, and it was still it was still hard. You know, the past five years has still been a rocky journey, but absolutely it's been a little bit better with the space. Well, and one of the things that has has made it better is that there's a beautiful um, treasure that you guys um, have created. And yeah. uh, tell us about Amelia. Yeah, so Amelia is five years old now. Uh, uh, she's a hoot. She loves performing. I mean, she's five years old, and she takes my phone. She goes. She makes these little videos you know and she thinks that she's like this youtube sensation she goes hi boys and girls this is amelia i'm gonna sing you a song today and it's like she and she's like where are you where are you getting this and but um so she yeah she's our pride and joy she she's definitely she makes us smile and she we is. realize that our whole lives transition when once you become a parent like you you're your motives, your values, your priorities, everything shifts. And so right. we're all navigating this space 
uh, trying to be a parent and um, and trying to build a career at the same time. And it's really hard to juggle both and and to be in a very flourishing marriage. I mean, it's 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 a lot on on families and parents this, these days. Yeah, it, it really is. And I want you to think and, and help us a bit and give us some calibration, if you will, um, because as Amelia grows up, you know, you experienced some things growing up uh, and, and internalized that. And, and now it seems we're, we're hearing more, although it's, it's, it's always been there uh, about this evil of racism and even toward the Asian uh, community and culture. Yeah. Uh, give us a, a thought around where are we? Are we making any improvements or, or do, do we have a, obviously do we, do we still have a long way to go or to help us, Matt? What, what, what do you see right now grow, about this growing or continuing um, prejudice against Asian, the Asian culture? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a significant month for us, right? Uh, the May is uh, AAPI month. So AAPI stands for Asian American Pacific Island Heritage Month. You've seen several different things. Um, right now is a time of tragedy for uh, our people. Um, you know, many people, even my parents um, who are in their 80s, they're, they're fearful of going out. I mean, they live in San Francisco, one of the most diverse places. Wow. They're fearful of going out um, because people are getting randomly attacked. For no reason, for just walking the streets, uh, going to church, wow. going get groceries. Um, my, my mom was actually uh, mugged at her own house. I mean, what? we live in a very predominantly neighborhood. Yeah. And she, so now my dad has cameras and everything. Um, it, it's happening in our backyard. It's happening in our neighborhood. It's happen, actually happening in our own families. Um, so it's a very scary time. But there's a silver lining, I think, that's happening to all this, um, especially with uh, you know Black Lives Matter, with uh, racism, uh, police brutality, also the Asian American culture and the Stop Asian Hate movement that's going on. All of these things have happened for many, many years. Like it, it's just part of the reality that we live with. With the Asian hate crimes that are happening right now, I mean, it's spiked and elevated to a level that is that we've never seen before in our, in our time. Um, with the Black Lives Matter, I mean that those incidents has, have already been there. But what's happening in our own community in the Asian American culture is people are rallying against this and coming together um, with, with support and and unity, mm. and and we're raising awareness, attention. Uh, and and we're raising money for families who are victimized from from these crimes. Um, so there is uh, people who are coming together because of these, you know, hate crimes. But at the same time, they're still happening. And and what's surprising is they're happening in these major cities that you wouldn't think. Yeah. Like I live in the South, and you would think that it would you know skyrocket and 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 happen here just with our generalizations of what we think right. it's not it's, it's happening in west coast east coast big major cities you know metropolitan areas and it's it's just a it's a scary time so did that surprise you it did surprise me a bit um that racism as we kind of generalize it um it it, it is all over 
instead of generalizing it in one area or region, the evil of racism uh, it is seen, I guess, really anywhere. Uh, but Matt helps us to learn that um, in, in the big cities and metropolitan areas, uh, Asian racism, uh, it seems to be seems to be greater there. And it also uh, forces us to focus on the things that matter most, to, to really protect our, our loved ones. You never know what's going to happen the next day. I mean, right. I've heard that growing up all the time. But really, like with my parents, I've never feared for their safety as much as I do today. Mm. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I, I really am. I mean, it happened to my mom, um, not to the extent that it's happening to other families. Uh, thank God, but but it's it's happening, and it could happen to anyone at any time. So it's uh, we're not progressing. Uh, it's it's not getting any better. Mm. Uh, but there is more awareness and spotlight on it for sure. Well, we have to keep raising the flag. We have to keep shining the spotlight uh, yeah. on that evil and and continue to do everything we can. I love the fact that you said people are coming together. They're organizing. They're they're bringing help. Uh, it's a tragedy, and and we've got to continue to, to to call it out for what it is, and continue not to tolerate that type of of thought process and behavior. Um, I'm so sorry about your mom, and I'm so sorry that happened. And and the truth is, um, unless you grew up as you did, and and as an Asian uh, child, and then a young man, we don't understand it. You know, in a, in a white culture, if you're white, we we can. We can empathize, but we certainly we don't we don't know what that that feels like. What we can do is help you to stand against it. We can stand and and call out what we see, whether it's in the in the black community, the Asian community. Uh, regardless, racism is an evil, and we have to keep keep uh, beating that drum. And so, thank you for helping us to do that. Uh, and hopefully. Amelia's generation will be better. Hopefully by the time she's, yeah, she grows up and becomes a beautiful adult. Yeah. We'll make a, a bit of progress, but we got a lot of work to do. We've got, we've got a lot yeah. of work to do. Yeah. So Matt, I could, I could talk with you all day. Unfortunately, our, our time is, is running out, but you have become a leader of leaders at NASA. Uh, what a very well-respected um, um, leader of leaders that you are. Uh, I hear people talk and, and they hear you in conferences and they have conversations with you and you are so um, uh, looked up to and, and respected. I want to pick your brain for just a minute. There are a lot of people um, who are just who are trying to figure this thing out about leadership. These aspiring leaders coming up, or maybe even someone that's just in a right now, maybe they're in that stagnated place in their life. Help us. What do these aspiring leaders, or maybe people who are even trying to get figure out where they want to go? What type of leadership tips can you can you help us with? What, what would you say? Some two or three things that. Hey, you need to know this as you prepare to lead others and prepare to lead yourself. Yeah. Uh, the first phrase that comes to mind there is get curious, not mm. furious. A lot of the times I feel like our emotions manage us rather than us managing our emotions. <clears throat> and uh, when we are faced with an, uh, a situation, I mean, there's chaos that happens all around us. Uh, in that moment, we're often, when we are emotional, we haven't worked through our own stuff. We're quick to project, right? I kind of lash out or, or jump to conclusions. And I think in that moment, it's really important for leaders to pause and to check in 
and not only to what they're feeling, but to get curious about the situation to, you know, Stephen Covey said it best. And one of his principles of the, you know, seven highly effective habits, um, seek first to understand Mm. then to be understood. And it's this Mm. whole concept of seeking first to understand. That's the first thing you do. You get curious rather than trying to prove your stance, try to prove yourself, trying to prove how right you are um, or your emotions rather than jumping to conclusions and getting upset and, and furious at the other person for their mistake or for whatever happened, you just explore it. Mm. Now, what happened? Let's talk about it. It's good. And, and, and I feel like you get so much more leeway and momentum dealing with people when you can learn to get curious rather than jumping to getting furious. So that, that's, that's number one. That's so good. Uh, the other thing that comes to mind is things are more caught than they're taught. So as leaders, we may preach you know, um, norms and values. And we may, um, tell people go, go to people's offices and say, you know, it's really important to do these things. It's important for us to model the behaviors. Uh, Gandhi said it best, right? Be the change you wish to see in the world. So you got to model the behaviors in order for people to follow suit. So you can't preach it. You got to model it. So things are more caught than taught. Um, Oh my goodness. You are a brilliant one. Matt, you are amazingly brilliant. Um, I can't, I can't tell you. Um, listen, for those of you listening, uh, I hope you understand the value that you've that you've been afforded uh, today. Uh, Matt Park is an incredible leader. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, these Thank these you, truths, um, your story, um, the the truth that that you shared about racism, your vulnerability to tell us how that even affected you and your family. And, and you have uh, certainly enriched us by sharing your story today and you've helped us and you're a, an amazing, amazing man within a beautiful family, an amazing family. And I look forward to watching and seeing the impact that you are continuing to make, not just in the NASA community, but uh, across this nation. So thank you, Matt Park. Uh, I appreciate your time today, my friend. Thank you, Larry. I really appreciate you. And I look forward to reading your book, Crossing the Line, when it comes out. Thank you. I look forward to that coming out uh, later this summer. So thanks, my friend. Take care. All right. Take care. Well, there you have it. I hope you could get a glimpse of the authentic, um, appropriately vulnerable, but but powerfully vulnerable uh, man that Matt Park is. He uh, has been consistent through the years with his love for people his um, desire and ability to have deep, meaningful relationships. Uh, but also, uh, I just appreciate his insight and his honesty around Asian uh, racism and what we're dealing with in our society today that we just have to, to uh, have a victory over. We can't let this evil win in our country and in our world. Uh, so it is appropriate that uh, May is Asian American Pacific Island Heritage Month. And I hope that you will think about that. You will do what you can to sound the alarm, to raise the flag, um, to, to speak into the lives of those around you, and uh, most importantly, to not tolerate um, this racism in any shape, form, or fashion. But uh, Matt left us with some wonderful tips. Get curious, not furious, he says. What a great leadership principle. If we could do that with 
within our relationships to stay curious instead of being defensive and instead of accusing and blaming, but just to stay curious and learn and grow. And then he says, things are more caught than taught. If we could uh, live by our actions and our behavior, if we could if we could live and teach by those actions what we want to instead of uh, trying to teach with words only, wow, wouldn't we be a lot better off? What a great challenge. Things are more caught than taught. Uh, I have truly learned from that love being with him love hearing him Uh, you can check him out dr matt park uh, an organizational development specialist at nasa but much more than that an incredible leader who leads with his head and his heart he crosses that line and he does it so well and you can too you can cross the line from your head to your heart and your heart to your head in order to make a difference in the lives of those you love live with and lead. We'll see you next time.